You're listening to WRT Madison. I'm your host, Lauren Hicks, and this is Perpetual Notion Machine. You might have seen temperature blankets on social media. That's when crocheters around the world record their temperature each day or each week using different colors for different temperatures. The result is a colorful array and a crafty way to visualize trends over time. Tonight, we're talking all about crafty ways to visualize data. I'm joined with Andrew Hahn. He is a newsroom developer at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, a graduate of UW-Madison, where he recently completed his master's in geographic information systems. He popped up on our radar after being featured in an article from the Neiman Lab, a journalism industry outlet about how journalists are turning to crochet to tell data stories. He's the proud maker of an unconventional map of Lake Mendota. This time, it was worsted in wool weight and acrylic. The map shows the depths of Lake Mendota using different colors of yarn, something map makers like to refer to as bathymetry. And that stitches perfectly into our theme tonight, how to represent data in unconventional ways. Hello, Andrew, and welcome to the Perpetual Notion Machine. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. First, I want to hear all about the process of this uh, bathymetric map. But first, what is bathymetry? Can you explain that to me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a fancy term for um, any kind, anytime that we map the depth of some water feature. Um, so we might refer to topography to refer to how we map heights of mountains or geologic features. Bathymetry is the opposite. It's mapping down instead of mapping up. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Okay, so now for your background, what sparked your interest in making maps or just Absolutely. maps in general? Yeah, I was in journalism school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I had to take a science credit class to graduate. Um, me and my friend chose uh, what we thought was a silly class in cartography, <laughs> and I just fell in love with it. And I knew that it's something that I wanted to incorporate in my work um, for a long time. And so I ended up doing that for a lot of years as a journalist, and then I ended up pursuing it as an academic passion further in my master's degree. Awesome. Okay. And then crochet. How did that come to be? Yeah. My mom actually taught me to knit when I was 10 years old. Oh, um, really? That's awesome. And I found it a really fun creative outlet, but I didn't really have the patience for it at the age of 10, <laughs> as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, my grandma always crocheted and crocheted us a lot of uh, blankets and other items when I was a kid. And uh, I tried it out as an adult and it's a lot faster I found it and um, a lot easier to get something from an idea in my head into a physical object that I'm holding and so that's why it's my preferred craft medium now. Okay and then how did you learn how to tie that into using crochet and maps? Yeah when I crochet I'm not a big fan of following other people's patterns. Um, it's a creative outlet for me and I love making something uh, sort of freehand, you might say. Um, but I'm not, my creativity is not in the textile world. I am um, colorblind and I am not uh, a gifted sewer or anything like that. Um, and so that's where I decided to let data fill in the gaps for me. And so I turned to what I knew how to do really well, which was to create data sets and visually represent data and to see if I could create what I had created digitally as a physical product. That's awesome. And yeah, the piece was so beautiful. If you have time, definitely check it out. We're going to have links to it on our webpage, and you can also see it on his Twitter. Okay, now let's get back to the crocheting. I want to dissect this project. So let me know all of the steps that went into creating this map. Like, how did you go from analyzing the data points to then translating that into a crochet form? Yeah, absolutely. There's a few different ways that we store data uh, when we're working in a GIS software or GIS context. One is that we might refer to points, lines, and polygons. And these are shapes that are 
stored as a series of coordinate points. Think like how you might have latitude and longitude points uh, instead of addresses. Um, another way that we might store data is as what we call a raster image. And that is where uh, you store data literally as a picture. So each pixel has a data point behind it, a data value behind it, each pixel of the image. And so that pixel might be a categorical variable, such as um, a color that refers to the type of land use uh, that that pixel is majority representing, or that might be a gradient like um, you might use for heights, for, for the height of a land or something like that. Um, my process always starts with data and uh, the first step of any map, whether it's crocheted or digital or printed, is generalization. So you take that data, store it as a raster for whatever you're mapping, and you need to generalize it. And that means uh, simplify it in a way that the human eye can actually make meaning of it, because every map can't c possibly contain all of the complexities of the real world. Right. And so we simplify it into, uh, in the case of these crochet maps, that means making it a much more low resolution image than what we started with and making these shapes a lot larger. And so in the case of this bathymetric map, I used a very simple color palette, just four colors, and I made it a very, uh, each pixel represents a very large space um, so that each pixel could be one stitch. And Ooh, so, okay. uh, I can uh, take an image that uh, looks like a colorful grid of squares and then use that to guide me when I'm making a crochet pattern. Cool. I know that you mentioned that you wanted to kind of make something resemble water, like with some wavy stitches. Can you go into detail a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So for the map you're talking about, we um, for the bathymetric map, I made layers of uh, each additive layer represented a higher height. But mm. maps can also be flat when you're crochet, making crochet maps, uh, just like you would any other map. And instead of denoting changes in elevation, we could denote changes in land or what the land is used for with texture. And that's really what I want to do with all of these maps is explore how to use texture uh, as a way to encode information in a way that our screens can't reproduce. Right. And so in the next map that I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to use a wavy stitch to represent water. I'm going to use a bumpy stitch that looks to me like a tree canopy to represent forest. I'm going to use um, long, straight, horizontal lines to represent agricultural land. And in that way, have a texture analog to what we know the land is actually used for in real life. Okay, so like kind of like a key, but you'll be able to see it visually. You're like, okay, like these stretches are going to represent that different part of the... That's yeah. That's really cool. Exactly right. And that's important, I think, because when cartographers make maps today, we're usually talking about digital maps. We're usually talking about maps that we slide and drag across the screen like Google gives us. And those are very useful and very important, um, but they're very flat. And although cartographers often add texture to maps, we might add a gradient, we might add drop shadows in a digital way. Um, at the end of the day, all these maps are literally flat. And so I want to exper experiment with mapping in a very accessible way with yarn, uh, such that we can feel uh, differences in landscapes. Do you see like a fabric type of medium becoming more widespread in data visualization? Yeah, I really do. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is I think people like me don't want to live in a flat world. And we want to yeah. be living in a world full of bright, beautiful 
feelable objects. And the other thing is that data is becoming more intertwined with art for mm -hmm. people in younger generations. And so when people uh, look to create something beautiful, they're not just turning to patterns that they find beautiful, they're also turning to real life patterns represented through data as that data becomes more accessible and the tools that we use to access that data become more familiar. Wow. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a great way to tie it in. I like how you're saying it's making it a lot more accessible too. Like if you're not too much into science or you're not too much into data, you can still have that creative outlet and kind of learn and intertwine it both ways. That's Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. And there's some really fun examples of that. The temperature blankets that you brought up at the beginning are an excellent example of that. Um, I've also seen people do mood blankets where they'll map their mood on any given day. Yeah. Those it's ones like are kind of cool. Yeah. It's Sometimes they're sad, but sometimes they're fun. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you get to see it both yeah, ways. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And so, Andrew, if someone is considering pursuing a similar path as you, um, what kind of advice would you want to give them? Absolutely. Um, I came into this as a journalist. Um, and I think um, my best advice in journalism or in any career is that uh, I remember when I was much younger feeling this tension to decide on a path and to pursue it sort of with blinders on. And what has made my career dovetail beautifully with my passions in this way is that I have never let that stop me from pursuing other interests. Um, I enjoy being sort of a jack of all trades at anything that I find interesting. And sometimes that means dropping a hobby that is not particularly interesting. But um, I guess my advice in journalism or in any uh in any career, especially if you're a very crafty person, is try to find a way to incorporate those crafts or that artistry or that passion into what you get paid to do on the day-to-day -day basis. I like that. That's, yeah, definitely don't lose your creative side. That's very important. Also keeps you sane, I think. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and I know you recently just wrapped up another project, um, which also used data in a pretty unconventional way, but you looked at the page view data for every Wikipedia page associated with Wisconsin over the last five years. Yeah, I did. And then you generated an article about the most well-known person in each of Wisconsin's 72 counties. Mm -hmm. You got a lot of emails from that, right? Oh, yes. yes, I did. More <laughs> than any other uh, story that I've done. How did you get the idea to do that? Yeah. Um, so in the newsroom, we've been talking about ways that we can engage people who, like me, identify as Wisconsin wonks, people who are proud of the state that they live in and really excited uh, to share and learn interesting things about Wisconsin and things that make it a great place to live. And so we've been looking at ways to interrogate data about Wisconsin to find these interesting stories and remind people why Wisconsin is such a great place to live. Right. Yeah. And I know for Dane County, we had Chris Farley as the one for being the most famous. Definitely mm -hmm. gave me some SNL skits back up <laughs> for me, but that was really cool to see. Enjoyed yep. that. People from Dane County were pretty happy about that one, unlike some other counties. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see, I can name, think of a few on the top of my head that wouldn't be so happy about that. But yeah, no, that's super awesome. So what's your next project do you think is going to be? Yeah, well, I'm working on a land cover map of Wisconsin right now uh, at home, my crocheted map of Wisconsin. Um, that is uh, going to be a wall hanging um, that represents Wisconsin by its its various land attributes and its context in the Midwest. Um, I'm really interested in potentially making more wall hangings in out of yarn. Um, I think that there are some interesting applications for the types of map that I do in terms of like clothing or wearable objects. I think those are a lot of people's favorite crocheted items and they don't, um, 
they're much more technically difficult. And so I have a lot to do to learn before I can make uh, clothing like that. But I'd love to see other people make clothing out of maps and crochet and things like that. Um, I think that's like one interesting practical application of this. Yeah, no, that's really cool. It is cool to see like crocheted pieces on people. I think that's like, I don't know, that's like the coolest thing to see walking Mm -hmm. down the street. Um, So if you're kind of like getting into crochet, I know you said you started when you were 10, but how Mm -hmm. would you... Is it an easy thing to pick up? Do you have to have a lot of patience? Like how is, who's like the ideal target to start crocheting? (laughs) Definitely. Um, I don't think you need to have a lot of patience with the craft. I think you need to have a lot of patience for yourself and start it with some grace and know that the first couple coasters that you make are going to be a little ugly and that's okay. Um, But I think it's a really easy thing that anybody can learn. there are a lot of resources online. Uh, I think it's an extremely accessible hobby to pick up a hook and some yarn at your local craft store and find a YouTube video and start crocheting. I think it's really as easy as that. And you can have something, you know, that you made beautiful or not in an afternoon. And that is a really cool thing about this hobby. I use some stitches uh, like mosaic uh, crochet, or sometimes I've heard this technique referred to as interlocking crochet to be able to uh, incorporate different colors uh, into a map. And that is all stuff that I've learned online from open source resources as well. So uh, it can be frustrating when you're watching a YouTube video and watching someone speed through a scarf or something that you'd like to make. And you can just slow down the video and take as many times as you need and start over as many times as you need. I think it's a great thing to do if you need to relax your mind to have a a, a task that becomes automatically very quickly um, while you're listening to WRT. (laughs) And I do kind of want to hear more about like your job. So if you're the one that's making the maps, like what Mm -hmm. are you, what's like your little steps? What's like plan one of how you're going to be, how am I going to find the data? How am I going to start to make this look appealing? Yeah, absolutely. Every map that I make or uh, I make uh, also all of our interactive data visualizations for the website at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. All of these start with a question that we want to ask. That question is, how would you quantify the most famous person from Wisconsin? Um, Or um, what is the most common rejected vanity license plate uh, in Mm. Wisconsin is one that I'm working on right now. Ooh, okay. and what is it? <laughs> um, I don't know yet. We're working on uh, getting the data from the DMV and okay. through working through open records requests, but <laughs> keep you posted. I, I will. I want to know about this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they all start with a question, a question about something that uh, intrigues a wonk from Wisconsin's curiosity. And then we find the data and... Uh, that is something that is a little bit of experience, a little bit of creativity, a little bit of coding knowledge helps. And then um, once you have that data and you interrogate it a thousand different ways, so much that you are bored with the data that you've got, <laughs> then you can start making your map or data product. Okay, cool. So when you said interactive like maps on it or interactive images, is what you said? Uh, interactive data visualizations. Yeah. yeah so what, what are those like consist of? What? Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes we create dashboards. Okay. Uh, so things that allow the user to try to find the story and the data themselves. Hmm. Sometimes we create maps uh, that allow you to 
find how you fit into the story so that you can find your own house and see how this article that we're writing about affects you or your community. Um, so any any kind of interaction that allows the data to be more than just a static image on the web page. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I think people get lost in words sometimes, and it's nice to have something to break it up. So I love the interactive aspect of that. Yeah, and it's a big thing in journalism right now in a, in a big way that um, readers uh, these days make a story tangible to themselves and find meaning in a story. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah, no, I think I want to wrap it up a little bit, but I think, I don't know, it's so cool about how you found one course and then it just kind of changed it a lot for you. Like, I don't know, especially at UW-Madison, there's so many incredible courses you can take here. If you are a student listening, definitely take advantage of those courses while you can, because you don't know what you're going to find. I took clap for credit three times and I had a great time with that. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's that's really inspirational to be able to acknowledge that you really loved journalism then this is another way that you can tie in something else to it and then become i don't know even more marketable for your own career yeah absolutely and it's also um a way to you know you sometimes you seek out something because you have the passion for it and sometimes you realize you have the passion for it through doing it and so these uh whether it's crochet or the web development at the Milwaukee journal sentinel or journalism um, data storytelling is something that I have through these things learned that I'm pretty passionate about. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And you're doing a great job with it because we've been looking at the map and that's just, it's so pretty. <laughs> Thank you. I really do enjoy it. I like the picture too that you had. It was one like right over Lake Mendota, mm -hmm. which is cool. Yep. And yeah, no, that's awesome. Lake Mendota is a very special lake to me. So that's why I wanted it to be first for me. <laughs> it is kind of, it is like the I know, but not, we're on the isthmus. So mm -hmm. we got Lake Mendota and Lake Monona. Let's wrap it up a little bit. Let's think about go over what we said before so whenever we're thinking about maps you have like you want to get all the data points first and then you can kind of think 2d go into 3d right yeah absolutely i start uh with the 2d representation of the data and then think about how i can make that tangible sometimes mm -hmm. literally tangible to a reader <laughs> or someone looking at my maps yeah and then so I mean, I've been seeing a lot of different ones. I know that in the article you were featured in, there was one that made a whole like crochet. It wasn't crochet. It was a embroidered map mm. and it had different like things of trees and different like parts. It was like of a park, I'm pretty sure. Yes. And yeah, that was that's really Victoria. Um, yeah. She uh, does uh, cross stitch and embroidery mm -hmm. of various landscapes and the scales that she uses, um, they almost look exactly like an aerial image. They're so lifelike and real. There's a lot of great examples of other people using textiles to make interesting maps. Um, one of my professors at the University of Wisconsin-Madison worked on a project with his class where they quilted a map of Madison. Quilting is another interesting medium to make maps. Um, a lot of the techniques that I use in crochet can be used in knitting, and there are some people making some really cool um, pixel art, sometimes maps, sometimes not, with knitting things. Um, I would challenge anybody who does anything crafty to try to make a map in their medium of choice. And you heard it here first. Definitely <laughs> take on the challenge and get into your crafting mode. <laughs> so it is now 727, and that's all the time we have for tonight. We've been talking with Andrew Hahn. He's a news direct newsroom developer at Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, a UW-Madison alum, and a map fanatic who used crochet to illustrate Wisconsin's lakes. You can find more of Andrew's work on his Twitter at Andrew Hahn. I'm personally a huge fan of your Map Monday features. They're really fun to look at. <laughs> and you can read Andrew's most recent article titled Actors, Athletes, and Spies. These 72 people are the most famous from each county in Wisconsin at jsonline.com. 
Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us here tonight. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. And that does it for Perpetual Notion Machine, our weekly science news show here on community radio station WORT Madison. I've been your host, Lauren Hicks. And coming up next, we have Radio Literature with Melvin Hinton. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Mm.